This is the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Weather Lounge. I'm your host, meteorologist Brad Miller, and our podcast comes to you from our Weatherworks headquarters in Hackettstown, New Jersey. And joining me today, and back from a short hiatus, is my co-host and fellow meteorologist, Mike Mahalik. Welcome back, Mike. Hey, thanks, Brad. Good to be back on the lounge, of course. Yeah, you missed a little a uh, little get together between me and Mike Prianti yeah. and Jen DiOrio. We were yeah, uh, talking the, about the uh, weather and music thing. Yeah, there's I... weather in the music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's that was uh, definitely an interesting episode for sure. I mean, it, you can't imagine how many songs yeah. actually mention uh, weather in it from one way or another, whether it's referencing or it's it's countless number of songs the lyrics i mean just including the word weather or any type of weather type so yeah so be sure be sure to switch uh or check those episodes out um you know that that was a fun one for sure even in past podcasts we talked about el nino and that's what we're really going to be talking about coming it's a buzzword up. right now yeah coming up today because you know i know it's august but we're just starting to think about the winter season and El Nino. So. <laughs> I know, right? And El Nino plays a big part uh, in the winter pattern. And um, yeah, we just finished our first preview uh, for the winter outlook. And in fact, uh, WeatherWorks meteorologist Ken Elliott and myself just recorded a webinar um, that you can find very soon on our YouTube channel, and that's what we're going to talk about today, right? Yeah, Ken is here uh, with us uh, for today's podcast, so let's actually just bring him in now, and uh, welcome, Ken, to the Weather Lounge. Good to have you. Hey, Brad. Hey, Mike. Good to be here, as always. Yeah, and uh, Ken, you've been with WeatherWorks now since, uh, can we say, 2006? Yeah, that number's getting uh, bigger and bigger every year. Kind of scary. Kind of dates you. I I I, I always uh, I always laugh with Ken because he you know he I always thought he was here much longer than me. But if I look back, I started in two thousand eight. So Ken, only two years difference actually. We're, we're both long term veterans now. Basically, <laughs> at the end of the day, we, we maybe next year we can you know skip how many years we've been here to say long time uh, meteorologist, long time old fogies, you know something like that, right? And, you know, of course, Ken, you know, being at WeatherWorks so long, you know, he has a wealth of forecasting experience, including uh, look at the, some of the longer range outlooks. And uh, really, Ken, that, that's what we're here for today. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I have to do the count, but this is probably like the 15th winter outlook I've been a part of, which is um, which is kind of scary. Uh, but, yeah, it's, uh, w- you know, winter, uh, you know, winter is coming. Hashtag. I know. I know it's a thing, but, um, you know, it, it's 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 coming quick. You know, we're at the end of August now. Um, still probably about three months away from when things get really interesting. Um, but you know, the, uh, you know, we, we all want to know what's going to happen soon, uh, sooner rather than later. So, uh, you know, uh, that's why we're here now and not, you know, the end of September or October. All right, exactly. So with that, Ken, let's just take a quick break here before we get into the crux of that winter preview number one that we just released. So, um, let's t- take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hey everybody, well how many times have you been burned by a weather forecast? Well, probably a few and it might have cost your business thousands. WeatherWorks is different. We have over 30 meteorologists to give you forecasts, notifications, and weather advice 24-7. Now that could certainly help when it comes down to making those crucial decisions, but there are even more products than that in which WeatherWorks offers, from weather data to historical reports. Call us at 908-850-8600 or visit us on the web at weatherworksinc.com. And oh, don't forget, when you think weather, think WeatherWorks. Okay, welcome back, everyone. And we are ready to tackle the first winter preview of 2023-24. Mike, Ken, uh, let's first discuss uh, the elephant in the room. And we mentioned it already. It's been all over social media really uh, for the last couple of months. And of course, that's El Nino. Uh, what's the first thing that kind of stands out uh, if this continues into the winter months? Well, I mean, with El Nino, obviously, we're finally getting an El Nino, um, which hasn't been a thing for several years. I mean, we've been dealing with La Nina, which is cooler waters in the tropical Pacific for 
Oh, what was it? Three years now, Ken? Yeah, this is, I think it was like three winners in a row. It, it was, and I think uh, the, the biggest thing here is like just a change. It's it's just you know forget about anything else going on right now. The background pattern is just going to be different this winter. You know, no, no matter no matter what you look at, the the backgrounds be different. So the the last couple of winters almost you know distant memory. Uh, we don't have to, we don't have to, you know worry about the patterns, but they were. It's like we're going to be in a much different spot as we go into this winter. Right, and El Nino is is already you know, a thing right now, currently we're seeing El Nino, um, happening and all the dynamical statistical models, uh, all the ensembles are pretty much in agreement, um, continuing the El Nino, uh, through the fall months, peaking in the fall and then gradually diminishing a little bit through the winter. But that's a typical thing, uh, that we usually see with El Ninos. Isn't that right, Ken? Yeah, they almost always peak in the late fall, November, maybe even December sometimes, and gradually ease um, during uh, during the winter. Um, and then we kind of, and not that it really applies to our winter now per se, but generally speaking, uh, there's what we call the predictability barrier during during the spring. So I'm not um, I'm not surprised that a lot of the ensembles that we show uh, in our web in our webinar, you'll see that a lot of them kind of go towards, towards a neutral state in the um, uh, in the spring and 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 and, and early summer. Not that surprising either. It's like uh, it's uh, there's, there's climatology, then there's El Nino forecast climatology, and that's just <laughs> part of it. But I think the important thing is, Ken, is that even though you see this decline through the winter, that doesn't mean that the forcing isn't there for the pattern, uh, you know, across uh, North America and even globally from El Nino. There's essentially a, a large lag um, that certainly is there. Um, with El Nino effects. Yeah, and, and that goes in the development stage too. You know, right now, even though the, the, the El Nino is there, it's still not doing as much as it ordinarily would. Um, for example, uh, the last half of August, we've seen an uptick in tropical cyclone activity in the, in the Atlantic Ocean. Typically, if El Nino, uh, one of the uh, calling cards of El Nino in the summer is less tropical activity. Um, and we're not we're not quite seeing that at this point, because El Nino is not quite that entrenched, I guess secondarily also, the, the oceans are so warm this year that that's going to probably act to act kind of mitigate that a little bit. Um, but either way, it's it's not like all of a sudden on day whatever we have an El Nino and then day whatever we don't. It's it's a <laughs> gradual build up and then decline. Right, right, and uh, we do expect. Uh, I know this is supposed to be about winter, but since you mentioned hurricanes, Ken. Um, but we do expect the El Nino should increase the shear across the Atlantic Basin as we head later on uh, into the hurricane season. So once we get towards the end of September into October, uh, we think that's going to shut down the hurricane uh, development a little bit more. Not to say there couldn't be one that develops, but we think that activity is going to slow down um, as we go through the season. Um, but back to El Nino and its impacts and effects. So we definitely have El Nino, uh, for this winter. We're going to keep it through the winter. Um, what's interesting though, is that El Nino, it's very important about where is it actually located? Where are these warmest, uh, waters in the tropical Pacific located? Right. We're, we're talking West, Central, and East base, correct? Right. So, yeah, they're typically east-based, uh, west-based, or more of a basin-wide um, okay. uh, location. So, um, currently, the warmest water is east-based. So, it's closer to South America um, along the equatorial Pacific there. Um, so, what's important is that with an east-based El Nino, that typically limits... Um, winter weather in the northeast quarter of the u.s however there's a big however here <laughs> because it's the variable variable nature of this whole thing we don't think it's going to stay there okay we're already seeing signs in the warm water anomalies that they're starting to push their way and slosh their way further west so they're moving from uh, off the coast of South America and pushing west more towards the Dateline uh, south of Hawaii. So 
while we're seeing that happen, we're also seeing the atmosphere being more supportive of that continuing as we head into the fall. So what we expect is that this El Nino is actually going to be more basin-wide, maybe not all the way west-based, um, but more basin-wide. So that's an important thing because that is a little bit more supportive for wintry weather and in reality, more blocking patterns um, across North America, especially around Greenland. So that's an important thing. Blocking is always an important thing when it comes to wintry weather, right, Ken? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to get really true meaningful storms. Um, you know, the, those ones that you're meaningful and ones you're going to remember. It's hard to get big time storms without blocking. Can it be done? Yes. Um, but it, it's really one of those uh, great ingredients that you really want to see. Uh, and, um, obviously blocking can be, um, can, can be transient and kind of, can kind of come and go. You can have it, uh, you can have it and, and not necessarily get storms. Um, but it's, it's one of those ingredients you just want to see. It's, it's what, it's what kind of locks the cold air in, makes that storm slow down a little bit and even make a more favorable track instead of it just becoming a, uh, one of those proverbial fish storms. Now, now so, case yeah. in point. I was going to say, case in point, Ken, remember last December 2022 when we thought we had a very favorable pattern, at least late December, uh, for the East Coast for at least winter and some colder air and maybe some chance of some storms, but the Pacific was the problem last year. Yeah, and, and that's a good point too, Brad. The, the Pacific is generally more important than the Atlantic, um, and that goes for the entire United States, not just like the Pacific Coast. Well, we knew what happened out in the Pacific last year, all winter long. It, it, exactly. So, and and we had a little bit of blocking there in December. It just didn't really last that long, and I believe it was December twenty third. We had that one or two day cold snap just before Christmas, and um, that would have been the the, uh, the the period there. But but it was it was it was too transient, and uh, you know just as quickly as it was getting cold it got uncold pretty quickly um and that's 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 can be that's kind of the the um uh you know the, the always the fear you know you have blocking but is it going to be there when you necessarily want it to be or need it to be depending upon your perspective um this with the uh with the nino aspect though this is just it's just one of those things that will be more supportive of being there um blocking or not i can guarantee we won't have blocking for three straight months no matter what happens <laughs> even the most favorable winter pattern in the world will not give you blocking for three straight months you, you might you might be more uh into uh getting you know um a couple of weeks here and there where we got this a good ridge over uh, greenland which kind of uh, is, is, is the true marker of blocking um but it's not going to be there uh, 95% of the time, or even 100% of the time, you know, in a in a very blocking year, maybe it's closer to like 50% or something. Yeah, I'm not quite sure, Ken. Did you mention what for our listeners out there what blocking actually is and what it does um, for the East Coast? Well, in case I didn't, blocking is um, in its simplest form because it, we we it's, it's it can get kind of confusing. You can get down in the weeds pretty quickly, but in its most simplest form, it's basically an area of high pressure, most often around or near Greenland, um, which actually reduce, results in warm weather up there, by the way, or at least warm relative to normal, because just Greenland's obviously a cold place in December, January, and February. Um, and then is what that does is that allows cold air to be basically shunted or directed to the eastern half of the United States. Um, and when that happens, uh, you get obviously favorably cold air mass, and usually that kind of leads into storm uh, favorable storm tracks for uh, for good snowstorms for the uh, for the 95 corridor. Yeah, it also tends to slow down those storms a little bit. Like it runs into the block, and and the storm has nowhere to go. So then it usually gets its development off the coast there. Creates traffic in the North Atlantic. Right, kind of slows things down a little bit. Um, but it's important. Unfortunately, blocking isn't the should I say most easy thing to forecast or easiest thing to forecast? Um, you know, but we do see those signs there and it's very important to, you know, whether or not we see a snowy year. Um, with El Nino around, I kind of see the potential there for some bigger storms, not like so much last year, but this year the potential's there because El Nino usually gets the subtropical jet, which runs, you know, out of the Pacific through the southern United States and kind of uh, off the East Coast, it, it gets it more active, gets it stronger, adds more moisture um, to to the atmosphere. So if you have a blocking pattern and you have extra moisture, 
the ingredients are kind of on the field, right? <laughs> yeah, because um, and and just because you have those ingredients doesn't necessarily mean it's going to come together every time too, because it, it it likely won't. Because um, it can look good, you know, even three or four days out, and then all of a sudden, one um, a piece of the jet stream energy yeah. is just is just timed a little bit too early or too late, and what could have been a bona fide storm becomes, you know, a, a kind of run of the mill clipper with snow showers or maybe a, a couple of inches of snow versus something bigger. So um, blocking in, in a in a more active jet stream doesn't guarantee anything, um, but it certainly it certainly helps. Yeah, it's not it's not the worst thing in the world, I would say. Um, but I think something to note too is with the Gulf Stream in the Atlantic waters, uh, Ken. Uh, that's something that our long range guys started to pick out that uh, the Atlantic is actually running a lot warmer um, than it typically does this time of year. So that's making the Gulf Stream right off the East Coast, running from you know the Carolinas, you know, off Cape Hatteras, south of Long Island, makes that warmer than it typically is. So that can spell a little bit more fuel uh, for any coastal storms that could develop. Exactly, um, almost uh, almost similar to hurricanes. Uh, it's going it, winter storms can derive energy from from warmer waters, especially if you've got that cold air on the west now, side. Like I said, the temperature gradient is is the big uh, driving force yeah. there. Yeah, the, the warm Gulf Stream by itself probably won't do too 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 much, but if you get some clashing air masses, um, especially later in the year, you got to be careful with the Gulf Stream early on because um, you know it doesn't take much of an east wind in December to start warming up a lot of the coast to like 40 degrees or if not warmer because uh, because the again lagging the, the ocean temperatures take so long to cool off that um you, know, you gotta be careful early in the year that's more of like a later january february and even march because oceans might cool off slowly but that means they also warm up slowly so ocean's still mighty cold in march right just like they're the warmest about this time of the year now and they just start to cool as we head into september that lag effect yeah. and the other thing that's um, good to see if you're a snow goose or snow lover or something like that. And, you know, like we talked about blocking before is that we're seeing those warmer anomalies south of Greenland too. Um, so there's some studies that indicate that warmer water south of Greenland can lead to more blocking patterns, more negative NAO type stuff, um, which is useful uh, for winter storms. I mean, anybody who is a real weather weenie knows that if you hit a negative NAO, that's the time to start looking. Exactly. And, and again, we'll see how long that's able to stay there. Um, but the, the way that if that can maintain itself, at least quasi in, in a quasi state for another couple of months, it's certainly another uh, a positive ingredient for snow. Yeah. So keep in mind uh, for everybody listening, these aren't like one-to-one correlations. Just because we have warm water south of Greenland doesn't mean we're going to see a negative NAO the entire winter season. Okay. Um, I've seen this play out in the past and there's a lot of more impacts, just like I think it was either um, Brad or Ken that alluded to the Pacific being such an influence last year, which totally kind of overwhelmed a lot of those uh, other factors. Um so just keep that in mind that just because we're seeing these things, there's a lot of more, a lot more pieces in place, a lot more pieces running around that have to come together just right to get a snowy year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we are certainly looking at this. And one thing uh, we did look at before El Nino was um, some of the climatology, Brad climatology i mean as we move away from the actual weather setup and the patterns and the uh um, teleconnections you know climatology plays a huge part going into winter and and i know you and ken both talked about this in the webinar um kind of after a lean winter which of course we had 2022 to 2023 how does that kind of relate into the following winter i mean there's a correlation isn't there yeah, there's a bit of a correlation, that's for sure. Um, now, when we talk about lean winter, we're, we're basically focusing on uh, the Midwest uh, through the Mid-Atlantic and Northeast. There's some areas of the country that certainly didn't see a lean winter last year. I mean, just look at 
the northern plains, like areas in Minnesota, um, the Rockies out west. My goodness. I mean, yeah, well, of course, yeah, California and the Sierra. I mean, I saw those uh, pictures on social media of um, where was it? Tahoe around Tahoe where they had so much feed and yeah. feed and feed. there's still a couple of ski areas open even in august <laughs> yeah i mean which was actually even though they had tremendous amounts of snow that was actually fantastic for them to get because there was so much drought over the past several years out in the west yeah, about for that. them to get all that snow was fantastic for the reservoirs and everything else um so yeah when we're talking about lean winter we're talking about you know the midwest basically east of the mississippi um towards the east coast so what we did was is that we looked at basically 10 of the least snowy winters out of the last 100. Um, and then we found that 95% of the time, the following season features an increase. So real easy kind of, this is more of a real easy uh <laughs> one-to-one correlation like we were talking about earlier so a lot of the time we see that increase it tends to push the totals for the following year closer to average snowfall for the 30-year normal um even a lot of the east coast major cities basically from new york city um you know down through uh richmond virginia um parts of uh, Maryland to Baltimore, Washington, we're seeing that increase increase even being more than the 30-year normal. Not by much, but still exceeding the 30-year normal. And if you're a snow lover, you know, even if it exceeds the 30-year normal by a little bit, you're going to be pretty happy based on the <laughs> last <laughs> a couple of years. And, and I would add too that that climatology really doesn't take into account anything else. That's just straight up climatology. We didn't we didn't consider um, uh, we didn't consider El Nino. We didn't consider any other really uh, pattern tell connections. This is just straight up. It didn't really snow much one winter. What happened the next winter? Um, which I actually think is a is, um, is is interesting because if you're looking for snow um, and you kind of tie in the you know the El Nino aspect to that. Um, Especially as, as you go in a place that might not typically be those snowier corridors, um, on, on like say the Mid Atlantic area south of New York City, uh, maybe up the Appalachians and whatnot, you know, you add in the, the 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 lean winter climatology and then you add in the El Nino together, and that's you know that's um, that's a reason to be to be optimistic from, for for snow from that standpoint. Right. Exactly. Um... And then we did also, you know, look through the Midwest out towards Chicago, and uh, we still see that response, that's for sure. Um, a little bit softer response. It's not quite as um, stark of a difference. However, most areas are still getting at least near that 30-year average. So you still see that correlation happening, uh, even out into the Midwest as you go out I-70, that's for sure. And that Midwest response, Mike, really isn't that unexpected because um, there, there's just less va- variability year to year in snowfall out there, um, just because they're, they're, there's less influence from large coastal storms. So they don't, you know, that, that when uh, when numbers are low, they're not as low as they are on the East Coast and Mid Atlantic, and when numbers are high, they're generally not, you know, like a uh, a Boston 115 inch winter when when, they, when their numbers are high. So that's to be expected that their numbers would be a softer response, but still getting back closer to normal. So that makes that makes sense both just general climatologically and also from a lean winter climatology standpoint. As we move on here, let's let's talk about something. Unless you got something else to add, though, real quick, there, Mike. Uh, no, I don't. Um, well, you you just keep leading the way. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mike. <laughs> hey, well, you're you're the uh, you're the host here, uh, so the hostess with the mostess. Yeah, yeah. What what was that from? Anyway, hostess with the mostess. I forget. I know the guy from uh, Happy Days was named Donnie Most. <laughs> I don't think that has anything was to do Potsy? with it. Potsy, <laughs> D- dumb, dumb, uh, dumb knowledge. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right, here's our halftime break of uh, the podcast. Now let's uh, l- let's talk about now some some winter early themes and trends. Uh, I know you guys also talked about this in the webinar. I mean, be- beyond the actual pattern that we just talked about, um, you know, with 
where are we looking at with even temperatures and what 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 is a basic El Nino kind of a setup for the country? I think before we get to that though, I I, I just want to hit one more thing about basically where do we go from here? Um, we set up the El Nino pattern, we set up the climatology pattern, but Ken, uh, you did a little bit of uh, you know thought into this. You know, where does the forecast go from here? What do we look at to start coming up with these temperature precip trends um, that Brad's talking about? Sure. We basically it, it, this is this is all part of the process of developing analogs and. Um, uh, when we talk about when we talk about uh, long range forecasting, doesn't matter which season, you know, winter, summer, or 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 the transition ones. We we always look for analog analog seasons, and um, the, the analogs. There, first of all, there's and all that is is a uh, just a, a a season that we think matches up favorably from the past with what we're gonna have. Um, does and that doesn't necessarily mean just current conditions, because current conditions are just that current conditions. Uh, we also kind of want to take some educated guesses as to where the pattern is going to go. So we kind of we kind of take those general parameters and try to look back in history um, and say, okay, what matches up kind of favorably with this? Um, and, and it's always interesting to kind of come up with these because there's never such thing, no such thing as a uh, as a perfect analog. It's the unicorn of long range forecasting. And even if you think you have a perfect analog, it probably won't be perfect. Um, because uh, you know, even if, even in similar seasons, no two winters are alike. Uh, you got all kinds of you know variability, be it on a time scale or or just geographic. So you kind of look for these analogs, um, and you don't want to go too far back either. We have reliable data going back to 1950, um, but in general, you want to stick as much as possible within the last 20 to 30 years. Maybe occasionally, you know, 40 to 50, but you generally want to be uh, you want to be you know the more recent, the better. It, it, all things being considered, um, and then you take these analogs and how many different meteorologists might have different opinions on this, but you don't want too few. You don't want too many. Uh, if you get too few, then you start getting into some weird extremes that might have gotten uh, in there in a particular season and might over-influence your data. Uh, and on the other side, if you have too many, well, you start averaging you know, 10, 15, 20 winters together, and guess what you've got? You've got an average of everything. Um, and, and then I, I would expect that your average of everything comes out pretty close to normal in terms of temperatures, precipitation, and snow. Right. Not um, a lot of good going on so there. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. So, so there's kind of like this, like you know, you know, this this Goldilocks spot, um, where you know you ha you have a you have enough of variability, but not too much, and you're also not relying upon um, you know a, just one season either. Um, so it's kind of like this magic dance. And by the way, this is not there's not necessarily right or wrong answers here either. Um, people that people that do this, you know, um, you know, all the time, will have differing opinions, um, and, and that's that's good. Um, because when you do that, you can talk things out and say, okay, well, maybe this particular analog looks good from a El Nino standpoint, but man, uh, we, we saw earlier how warm the Atlantic is uh, and talked about that. You know, well, this winter, this season had a very cold Atlantic. Maybe this one isn't so good after all. So it's, it's kind of a, a big balancing act there. Um, and then once you get these analogs, the, the process doesn't end there. Uh, I'd say we probably started this process at WeatherWorks in earnest. I'd say about a month, month and a half ago, um, and you know, it's it, every you know week or two we look at these analogs and say, are they still good? Um, and, and Mike, you, you and I were on some of those conversations uh, with the long range team, and you know, there was some not spirited debate, but there's some good discussion about you know which analogs are better and which ones are worse, and and you kind of got to relatively pick which ones are a little better or which ones should are worse. Should we include this one or should we throw that one out or? Exactly. Um, and, um, or do you just kind of punt and, 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 and wait and wait till wait another week or two to, to make a better decision? Cause sometimes that honestly is the best answer. Um, you, you also want to avoid driving yourself crazy. Um, you don't want to outthink yourself based upon maybe a temporary, um, uh, what ends up being a temporary pattern shift. Uh, maybe El Nino, uh, for example, right now we're watching the waters, the warm waters slosh from the east towards the west. What if that slows down for four days? <laughs> you know, you, you also want to make sure you take the big picture, not just the small picture. Um, and then you rinse, wash, and repeat. And we'll be, we, our team will be doing this literally for the next uh, next two week, two months, big for time, eternity. and still even into 
and and into the winter too, just make sure things are still matching up as uh, as we expect. Yeah, that's a very important um, um, comment there, Ken. Uh, these are definitely not set in stone. Even if you know we think we're very strongly in August that these are the set of analogs we're going to use. A lot of times they change um, based on how things are evolving. So, um, good point there. Um, but Ken. I do like the punt analog. I always like that in the uh, <laughs> talking about forecast. Should we punt? Should we go for it? You know, that sort of thing. And especially especially at this time of year, it's very important not to make brash decisions and set and, you know, all of a sudden eliminate. Well, you analog. have to, you know, you have to take some restraint, you know, even exactly. even though we're seeing signs that might be conducive to a snowy winter, you have to take it easy because then all of a sudden you're being you're riding the hype train and, <laughs> and we don't want to be in that uh camp right now we're trying to give the most uh representative knowledge that we have yeah, there's enough of that on social yeah, media anyway and, and we're trying to ground it in facts um so that we don't get carried away with anything um because that can happen and we like brad said we see it happen uh, if you are into weather Twitter at all or weather X or whatever no, you want to call weather, it. Weather X. <laughs> They're, are they calling themselves X? Like, I is it so. now? So what do you call it when you tweet at somebody? I do you X know. them? Do you X them? <laughs> or X at somebody? How, yeah, that is a good question. We'll yeah, you better. Um, I'm pretty sure it's now just X. All right, let me, slant, let me give a quick call to Elon and see what's going on. Yeah. And that'll get it through. Um, <laughs> you are number 80,000 in line. <laughs> Probably more than Please that. Hold. Um, anyway, um, but Ken, uh, thanks for kind of summing up the analog process, but let's get into these general patterns that we're seeing. Um, one place we'd like to start is it's very different than last year. Um, that's for sure, because last year we had a big trough of low pressure across the West for a good portion of the year. That's why they saw all their snow, all their cold weather. And the subtropical jet was you know, kind of just limping along there. You know, it wasn't doing a whole lot, adding moisture, adding energy to the system. It was more that polar jet stream that kind of took over um, diving out of Canada into the West and then up through the Great Lakes. And yeah, and, and it, the almost almost the opposite expected this winter almost the opposite that um that big trough of low pressure you discussed out west probably gonna be more ridgy out west so so instead of low pressure kind of more of, of not necessarily uh, like you know prolific necessarily but certainly um more more of a ridge and some hints of high pressure and i think more importantly than the ridges before you get too ahead there ken i just wanted to explain a little bit what we mean by that ridge um, we're meaning that the storm track is likely going to go around the western U.S., you know, take it into like British Columbia and then kind of dive down into the north. Fair. Yeah. And and that's and when that happens, we get, you know, you get some moisture coming out of the northwest, which from, you know, should be from a cold source. So that's, cold that's, air, right. It's all that's coming. A, that's exactly. That's a good thing. And then you couple that with what I think is the most important thing. And you kind of alluded to it earlier with the subtropical jet stream. And, and Mike, I love how you said very diplomatically limping along because <laughs> uh, I could think of some stronger words there. Um, but in a reversal, <laughs> the subtropical jet stream should be the dominant jet stream this year. Um, and that's why... Um, that's why like the, the, the Southern United States is going to see a, a lot of uh, precipitation this winter. That's like the, on a national scale, a, a wet Southern United States is, that's like El Nino's calling card. I was going to say very El Nino-like, sure. 100%. You know, if, if there's an El Nino, you can almost take it to the bank that there's going to be a lot of precipitation and for that matter, cooler weather um, in the Southern U.S., especially the Gulf Coast. But with that active subtropical jet stream, um, the jet stream is not going to be in one fixed spot all year. You know, where it ends up on the average, you know, time will tell. Um, but, you know, if that moves up a little, you know, north, it's going to probably interact with some of that cold air at times. So, you know, that's, that's you know, that's how you get a storm, a snowstorm. Yeah. And just not to get uh, with the, the, the El Nino and the strong subtropical jet stream, while we do see that as a good thing to keep things more active, um, you know, if you like snow, it's a good thing. Um, however, it could quickly turn into the wrong direction 
<laughs> because it might add a little bit too much mild air um, to the system uh, coming out of the subtropics there. So that's where we have this real delicate balance um, between that. It's yes. a dance, Mike. Yeah. It's a dance. Yeah, you'll learn <laughs> it. Sometimes, yeah, there's a song like that. Life's a dance, right? Um, country song. Anyway, um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, a dance back and forth. And if we can get that cold air timing up right, then we're in good shape. If not, you know, we might have a mixed changing the rain situation um, the closer to the coast you go. So, um, but that is one of the major, you know, pattern drivers for sure. And you could see that in our precipitation outlook, in our temperature outlook. Ken, you started to talk about that a little bit. Um, but kind of walk us through you know, what we're seeing there. Sure. Yep. As mentioned, Southern United States, cool and, and fairly wet. Um, and again, the, the position of that jet will make a big determination in how far north that those, those bigger um, moisture anomalies ride and, and with it likely the cooler air as well. Um, and then on the, on the northern side of that, the, the, the influence of El Nino starts to, to wane a little bit. It's the, it's the strongest signal in the Southern United States. Guaranteed. That's why I kind of wish, um, at some level of meteorological heaven, I was a long-range forecaster in, say, Louisiana for the winter, <laughs> because it would it would be it would be easy, you know, uh, lock, stock, and barrel of just cool and wet. But what fun would that be, Ken? <laughs> it would be. I said from from a forecasting perspective, it'd be great. You know, it's easy. what's the what's the average snowfall in uh, New Orleans? Uh, one. It's probably like 0.2 or, or, or something like that. Based on like one one or two storms over 30 years, yeah. Um, but you know that's that's where the challenge lies. And um, uh, when you have the stronger um, subtropical jet, that usually means the northern one's a little weaker. Um, not it's not going to disappear. It's, it'll always be there in some form. Um, um, and and it might be the one that a little, you know kind of is a little bit weaker and limps along at times. Um, but there will still be you know. Numerous, plenty, a good number of disturbances coming across the north um, as we go through the winter. And even though temperatures might be milder than usual, let, let's kind of almost strike milder. It's it's more like just like less harsh because a lot of these places in the northern United States, it's just cold. Um, so this is probably one of those times where you know if, if you're uh, you know you're, if you're you know you're in North Dakota or something and you have this this is a good year to 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 enjoy what should be a a, a less bad heating bill. Uh, I, I would, you know, uh, yes, the, the temperature is probably a little bit above normal, but I think that means just less sub-zero readings, uh, more so than it means, you know, uh, you know, 40s and 50s. Right. Let's let's think about that in in reality. Uh, what is like an average high for Bismarck, North Dakota, or something like that during the heart of winter? And what what do we think here? Like 20, 25, something like that. Maybe 25, 30. I don't know. But if we just add a couple extra degrees, so now your 25 average is more like 27 on average, you know? So, yeah, I mean, still cold, um, just not as cold as usual. So I think that's what's important. And, and, you know, when you look at above normal, below normal maps that you put out for a seasonal forecast, um, a lot of our you know people who look at these have to realize that, hey, What's that baseline normal? And then we go wiggling, you know, warmer, colder off of that rather than just seeing blue and saying, oh, my God, it's going to be the coldest thing ever. You know, it's really not going to be that cold in Florida, even though it's cooler than normal. Right. <laughs> it, you know, it, it means probably more days in the 50s and 60s than it does, the, you know, the 70s. Right, and exactly. 80s, um, especially north. Um, and by the way, Mike, I just looked it up. The average high in Bismarck bottoms out at very, very nicely done, 23 degrees. Look at that. I hit the right. I'm done. Man, I said 20. Then I said 25. I was right in the middle. And just to put it in perspective, it doesn't get above 32 until March 1st. Oh, my gosh. So there's a good perspective right there. So less brutal cold, you know, likes you likely gets you, what, 25 on average or, yep. you know. And, and the average low, by the way, sneaks down to two Ooh. on January 15th. So, yeah. So that means basically half the time you're below zero at night in the yeah. middle of January. Sign me up for um, Bismarck weather. There you go. Well, our FMS product does go out across the country, but – you know, so saying. even if you add even if you add ten degrees to those numbers, Mike, 
you're still very good for snow. You know, um, you know places places uh, you know in the in the Midwest and 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 uh, Northeast would love to see those kind of numbers if you add ten to it. So, um, yeah. So again, it's it's just to put it in perspective. You know, um, you know, think less cold despite the relative warm temperatures on all the maps that we'll be seeing. Because I would imagine, you know, just as as it's likely to be cold or cooler in the South, um, it's generally a little bit less cold north. So I would imagine. Uh, that's going to be a, a common theme that we see across uh, different forecasts over the next one to three months. And, and one of the things that you know we're seeing is maybe across the East Coast, bigger storms favored a little bit late, and that's probably due to the blocking signatures that we are starting to get a little right. bit of a handle on. <clears throat> Greenland block will show up later in the winter. Mm-hmm. And plus, the El Nino is, is most pronounced. Its effects are most pronounced later in the winter. Um, and not to mention, kind of going back to climatology, on the East Coast, the bigger storms tend to be in the That's second right. half of winter. You know, the bigger storms tend to be not around Christmas, more like February, yeah. sometimes even early March. I mean, if you think about all those big historical storms, um, most of them are not uh, in in December. The only one I could think of off the top of my head right now is Boxing Day. Um, that was in December, right? But late December, correct? Yeah. Um, and I believe it was 91 or 92. There was a very strong nor'easter, but it was just rain in a lot of places. Yeah. So, I mean, you typically get those big East Coast blizzards, um, January, February. I mean, President's Day is historically notorious uh, for having um, big blizzards on the East Coast. Just for some reason, I guess the uh, Mother Nature just loves that day. And one other thing, you know, the temperatures, too, you always think about and, and whether or not temperatures are, are average for the winter or even a little bit above average, it can support snow if you get the right, you know, setup, obviously. And even if you have like a, a forecast that you see above normal temperatures for the next seven to 10 days, doesn't mean you can't get a snowstorm somewhere within day two or day three, because the setup may be there where you have one or two days below normal and the rest of the days are above normal. So you know, one, that's another thing. I think a lot of our listeners, you know, oh, oh my God, the temperature is going to be five to 10 degrees above normal the next two weeks. Well, it doesn't mean you can't get a snowstorm within that time either. Yeah. I mean, if it hits, if it hits at the right time, it hits at night, you know, it hits during a cold swing. Um, you know, certainly or it generates its own cold air. A lot of times, most of, most of the storms on the East coast do. Yeah. Well, I, I think we're getting a little bit off track, so let's bring it back to, <laughs> Um, I don't want to get into big storms too much, um, but why well, that's what everyone listens for. <laughs> let's talk about the biggies. Yeah, unfortunately, you're not going to get when the uh, blizzard is going to hit the East Coast in this podcast because I want it in my backyard, Mike, January no. 18th, 2024. <laughs> that's just a fool's errand to try to predict that. And if you do see that anywhere, I would take that with a grain of salt. Um, probably the whole truck full of salt. Um, not just the grain. Um, but yeah, uh, some of the early themes, uh, we, we alluded to some of them talking about the map here, but um, Ken, why don't you start taking us through the bullet points and I'll kind of fill in the gaps there. Sure. Um, and yeah, we already got to, like, we already talked about like a good number of them. I think the, some of the more interesting ones, especially on a national scale, um, owing to that stronger subtropical jet likely to be in place, places that you know, can snow, but sometimes underperform because they're kind of far south, should do better than normal this year. Um, so uh, Southern Rockies, Four Corners area, um, the interior south, maybe it's a sneaky good year for snow in places like, um, you know, Arkansas, maybe even Northern Alabama and Northern Mississippi. Not to say it's going to snow, uh, you know, untold amounts, but certainly, you know, I'd, I'd be looking at their normals and 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 um, you know saying that's probably a good floor for snow because this is a, this is a good pattern for them you know even though it probably won't be supportive for cold for weeks on uh, for snow weeks on end you figure there's got to be enough cold air nearby with an active jet stream that that probably gets some snow done and that even extends into the east coast so um, you know inter the interior Carolinas. Um, Virginia, especially especially once you get west of 95, I think a, a lot of these kinds of places um, have have a, a good chance to have a good year. And and for that matter, you might as well include the mountains of Southern uh, California too. That 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 jet stream is um, doesn't doesn't discriminate based upon east or west. It's kind of going across the the, uh, the whole way there. Um, and Mike, you kind of alluded to this a second ago. Um, kind of along with that 
slightly better chance for bigger storms in the second half of the winter, that's probably when the cold is going to be most established too. Um, not only are El Nino's notorious for kind of the, the colder parts of the winter being late, um, that's kind of what we've just seen over the last you know 10 to 20 years. Um, generally warmer falls or milder falls and 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 you know a cooler slash slower uh, uh, transition out of winter into spring. So you kind of add those two together, and I, I could see how you know both cold and bigger storm potentials kind of uh, increase at least a little bit around the same time. So I'll have to keep an eye on that again for that climatological period as we get closer to uh, uh, February, maybe even early March. Um, and then finally, this this the gradient between the warm and the cold. Um, I think will be quite sharp at points. Um, might not, uh, it might not be that way on the seasonal maps, but you know, on any given week or two, uh, I would expect there to be a pretty fine line, generally east to west, based across the country, of warmth uh, versus cold. Um, so even in areas that you know might average a little bit below or above normal. Uh, there will likely be a sharp swings where you're on on the other side of that for a little bit. And what happens when you get these sharp swings? That's usually with some sort of a storm and or cold front, uh, which you know would make for at minimum, I would say, wintry mixes, if not uh, a couple of snow events too. And really, that could be you know literally anywhere in the country at, at points because I, I do think that the uh, the either jet stream polar or the subtropical one will move at points. And as that does happen, you know, um, you know, I, I would expect that, you know, even places like, you know, uh, Montana will probably have a couple of days when it's below normal, uh, e even, even though the forecast is overall for above normal. So um, swings are, are, are probably, they're, they're always going to happen, but maybe even more so than this, uh, this year than most. Right. So, that is the basic gist of everything. Ken, you did a great job on that. I was going to help you out more, but I had to clear my throat a few times. So <laughs> sorry about that. Allergies, you know? Winter doesn't have allergies. This is true, unless you have pets and stuff like that, dander and all that. Fair. That, that Fair. could be. But I don't have any pets except for fish. So much to my kid's dislike, um, put it that <laughs> way. And um, they're always looking for a dog or a cat. Um, anyway sidetracked anyway but here's what's going on coming up now we gave you the basic first preview of what we're expecting but heading into september we start looking more into those analogs adjusting those analogs like we talked before um, we do an update around mid-september um on this winter outlook and and ken that's where we start narrowing it down a little bit we start looking at those snowfall trends that everybody likes exactly. to see and not just precipitation right yeah we'll, we'll probably start working on that probably in really a couple of days time because um you know mid-september comes down mighty quick yeah you're right um and yeah so literally uh I you mean, know this is labor day weekends already the, this upcoming weekend's crazy Exactly. Literally, it 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 happens fast. So yeah, well, the, the I know the uh, the the first snowfall map is a very is a very anticipated one, and it will be in, <laughs> it, will, it will it will be out uh, you know uh, just past mid mid September. And yeah, that's like the um, that's like when things start to get real serious because you know it's amazing though you know we're, we're a whole month closer, so we can we can start to say okay. We like what we see, or in this regard, this this analog, this the the El Nino thing is or is doing what we thought, yada yada. Again, we can start to see more, so we feel better about things, and and that happens even more so. And as we get into October, because then we then we can start instead of just using strictly analogs, we can start to say, hey, when we see this, this kind of stuff starts to happen, and it can also certainly our our feelings about a certainly a December forecast, for example, would be a lot better. October 15th-ish than September 15th-ish because we're just that much closer. So we can have even a better confidence as to what happens. And that's when we start breaking out the uh, the monthly the monthly outlooks. Um, we can start pinpointing with a little bit better confidence as to which periods we think are the most likely to see uh, the, the colder, wetter, or drier, and warmer times too, which is obviously uh, helpful for everybody. Right, yeah. And, you know, October's the big one. That's... <laughs> <laughs> That's where we really break things down. We even try to get a little into, um, you know, temperatures and, and what kind of temperatures, whether it'll be above or below normal for specific cities and also for um, snowfall, too, where we try to give some seasonal ranges on what we can expect and the likelihood of each. 
um, broken out into uh, some confidence boxes. So we really start to get that stuff going uh, once we get into October, um, especially for our storm alert clients. Um, you know, that's something we really like to do for them uh, to help them plan for the winter season. So it's not only giving them the forecast all the time, but we also want to prepare them for the winter season. Um, so the yeah, because budgets and all that kind of stuff absolutely are up now already this time of the year. Absolutely. Um, so that's what we have coming up here. Um, as far as when we do another podcast about the winter season, I think we're eyeing towards the end of October, somewhere around there. Um, my our final uh, update, correct? Yeah, my pr- production guy is probably wondering what what that date is right now. <laughs> but. Uh, Check your local listings, as they say. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. But we'll definitely, we'll definitely have, have it advertised on uh, all social media. That's for yeah, sure. check all of our social media pages for sure. Um, our Facebook, our, our Instagram, our Twitter, X pages, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, so, um, but I think what I really want to do right now, Ken, is just give a big shout out to our long-range team because they did a ton of work into this first outlook and will continue over the next couple of months. Yeah. Again, integral part of the team. They couldn't be here today, but uh, uh, Kyle Leahy and uh, Kevin Winters, um, uh, you know, the the analog discussions that that were going on, they were huge parts of that. Um, And sometimes, um, you know, keeping others uh, in check from, um, you know, over forecasting and trying to get too cute and stuff like that. Um, uh, you know, they, um, their, their, uh, their, their work is, uh, is yeah, paramount. absolutely essential to what we do. They, they, they barely essential. have the summer off because as soon as we turn the page from spring and going into the summer, they're already kind of looking ahead to the upcoming winter for any kind of trends. Even before winter. that, yeah. they're, they're talking about that February, you know, they were talking about winter 23, 2024 in February. Yeah, I so. remember that. And then they and then they had to relive the pattern for the last winter uh, for our winter summaries that we send out to our clients. So, you know, they're they're always thinking about winter over there. So it's always on their minds. And and we really do appreciate all the work they do um, to come up with these winter outlooks for us um, here at Weatherworks. So, Ken, I think that's about it for the podcast here. So I really do appreciate you uh, coming on as a guest. Um yeah, Ken, thanks for coming on. Uh, yeah, whenever you guys want, give me a call and I'll be happy to join. Yeah. So certainly I, I'd imagine I'll probably be back with you guys in, in, in two months and, um, you know, who knows, maybe sooner. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So, um, so yeah, that's it for this podcast and our first look into the winter season for 2023-2024. And, uh, yeah, we'll have a new podcast every two weeks, so please – Uh, Come back and check your favorite podcasting app to look for the Weather Lounge and see what we have going on. But a lot of interesting guests coming up that we're uh, working on currently. So uh, visit back to our page. And as always, visit weatherworksinc.com for everything we do here. And our social media channels from Facebook to LinkedIn to YouTube. And you you can see all the stuff there. And on YouTube, you can also see the webinar version of this so you can get some more uh, graphical information there um, to see what we're talking about with the jet streams and the pattern and everything else so thanks for uh, listening here at the show and we'll see you in a few weeks